Paul, in episode 12, when we began thinking about the different roles that we, both as white men and as individuals with our own individual strengths, can play in creating equity, we inevitably got to the idea of leadership. And in creating equity, we undoubtedly need more racial, gender, and cultural diversity in leadership positions across the board. And as white men, a couple of questions may come to mind with that need. First, how can I support people of color and women to become leaders? And second, what does that mean for me as a leader? And at the end of episode 12, Paul, you made the very astute point that it all first begs defining what a leader is, and perhaps redefining what it means to be a leader. So let's dig into it. This is The Modern White Man, the podcast where myself, Paul Johnson, and me, Ken Lawrence, discuss how to be a modern white man who is anti-racist, anti-sexist, and understands his role in creating an equitable society. I am particularly excited to have this conversation with you, Paul, because you have a master's degree in leadership, which is a very cool degree, and our listeners and I can benefit from your learnings from that. You know, I'm curious, what are the types of teachings that a master's in leadership focuses on? Yeah, it's a good question, and I, I mean, first of all, I sometimes ask myself, why did I spend tens of thousands of dollars on a master's in leadership, or <laughs> something like an MBA would, would have been more like practical or useful um, I wonder how much weight it carries when I put it on a resume and apply for a job. But that being said, I, I, I sought it out because I have always been really fascinated with leadership. I've always seen leadership as a very important skill position to invest in because it has so much potential to do good and so much potential to do bad. Yeah. Right. And we've seen that throughout throughout history. Right? Truly. So obviously the study of masters in leadership is really about wh what is the good side of it, right? Like what does good mm. leadership look like? So it really kind of explores the fundamental questions of what does it mean to be a leader? And then what, what does great leadership look like? Mm. Now, of course, like with everything in, in the, our cl complex world, there isn't one right answer to that. So some of the things we learned about, there's many different leadership theories. That was some of the, the first classes I took was on what are all the leadership theories that are out there. Um, there's a lot of them. So things like adaptive leadership, servant leadership, transformational leadership, laissez-faire leadership, uh, and democratic leadership. So each of these theories have their place. And the key is really to know which style to use in which situation. Mm -hmm. Even something like autocratic leadership, which is this sort of command and control style, which I think, you know, for myself personally, I'd look at that and be like, well, that's not good leadership. Mm. But there are very specific certain situations when it's necessary. So like it, times of urgency, times of crisis, you really need someone or a few people to be very decisive. Yeah. Because you have sort of chaos. You have a lot of people running around not knowing what to do. You need someone to make a command or to control the situation mm. to sort of ease the chaos. Right. Now, of course, like with any of these theories, if if that's the dominant style or the approach across the board, it'll work sometimes and it'll work. It won't work other times. It's sort of like, you know, taking a handful of darts and throwing at the dartboard. Like some of those will hit the center, but others will miss the mark. Right. Like you have to be able to adapt and change your leadership style depending on the situation. So, so one person can deploy different leadership styles depending on the situation and that kind of they all 
contribute to the person as a leader because one of the reasons i mm. asked that is i feel like for a while in with my experiences in the social justice ecosystem it was like the thing to say that i'm a servant leader like i just heard i'm a servant leader over and over and so is that yeah. like a description that you can give somebody or can i be a different type in different scenarios that's a really good question too and i think one thing to consider is traditionally in sort of a culture that we have in the United States particularly, which is sort of this hierarchical structure in organizations, particularly speaking organizations or groups, there's one leader, right? Like mm. one person at the top. So in that case, the leader, and this is why, again, I'm very passionate about leadership because it's also very lonely. It's a very difficult position because in that case, there's one person who has to adapt their style all the time. And that I don't, I just don't think that's sustainable and there's going to be some styles that fit them and some that don't. Mm. So they're going to be acting disingenuously sometimes mm. and genuinely the other times. And so that calls in the question of should leadership be shared, yeah, right? Should right. there be multiple mm. leaders? Interesting. Right? And, and throughout history, the structure of the United States has always been one leader on top and then, of course, sort of like a, a board of people to support that leader. Mm. But generally, it's concentrated at the top, which you know goes back to sort of power hoarding, which we've talked about in the past. Um, but I, but I think a sustainable approach would be having multiple leaders, having a shared leadership model, and then having some of those different leadership styles for each person. And, and we've talked about this too: when to step up, when to step back, right? right? So there's going to be certain times when a laissez-faire person steps up, and then a autocratic person steps up, and democrat, you know. Yeah. So, but it's just so uncommon that we don't. It's hard to fathom what that looks like, yeah. right? Because we're so used to having that one person there. So and get this, this is this is very apt to what we're talking about. Here, there's a theory I didn't learn about. I actually came across this when I was doing some research. There's something called a great man theory of leadership. What? Yes, great man theory of leadership. Wow. So this theory suggests that leaders are born, not made, and that surprise, surprise, great leaders have traditional male qualities. Wow. At least they don't hide behind it. It's called yeah. the great <laughs> man theory. Yeah. Wow. So this is the idea that like you and I are either born a leader or not, mm -hmm. and that there are inherent traits. And if we, we have them, great. If we don't, tough luck. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, those great, kind of back to the one of the central questions that I learned about in, in the master's program, what makes a great leader? Well, it's those male traits, which we'll t I think we'll talk about yeah. a little bit later. Yeah. Well, let's break down a definition of leadership. And I think it was money well spent. That is, uh, that's some I, uh, interesting I stuff. Hope, yeah, it was, it was certainly worth it. <laughs> yeah. I loved every bit of it. Yeah. But it was really all about how to move people, how to influence yeah. people, how to, and how to run a complex system mm -hmm. with lots of people effectively. Yeah. So you reach your goal together. Yeah, that's valuable. And I think something all of us can probably think of a time where we didn't have that leadership and it has led to some pretty unfortunate situations. Yeah. So let's let's break down a definition. You know, this was a really healthy exercise for me to really think about having a definition where I it kind of gave me some enlightenment almost. It is really helpful to break it down. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that you told me right off the bat when we started having this conversation is that leadership is an action. It's not a title. 
and with that, it's not automatic, right? So it's not like once I get to a certain title or a certain pay grade, mm-hmm. it's like, I did it. I'm a leader. There's, you know, that title that I have and I walk around and I'm a leader and everybody knows it. No, it's an action. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really important point. So it's an ongoing action. And the other point with leadership that I really like is that it doesn't link to specific personal attributes. So just like the great man theory that you just mentioned, where that links to certain traditional male qualities, you know, you think like domineering, vocal, take charge type of personality might jump jump to mind with leadership. You'll think of like George Washington charging the field, you know, or, or something like that. But that doesn't link to leadership. Like introverts can be leaders, right? Charisma doesn't automatically link to leadership. So to to separate the mind from specific personal attributes is helpful mm. too. Yeah, because the other thing to consider, it's really important part of leadership is you have followers. Mm. And, and not just that you have followers, but you have willing followers, right? right? And this is why I just kind of always slap my head when I hear people in large organizations say, I lead all these people. Like, no, you manage all these people or mm-hmm. all these people are on your payroll, mm-hmm. you know, and they're yeah. below you. You know, leadership is that there are people willing to follow you no matter what. They'll follow you to the ends of the earth and they're choosing to do so, not being coerced into it, not being paid into it. Right. Yeah, right. And, and a lot of times great leaders, you know, will have followers who say, you don't even need to pay me to follow you. Mm. Like you are that great of a leader. And I love the vision that you're setting and I love who you are. And I want to go where you're going, right? That example links to how it's an action mm-hmm. and it's not a title because for someone to say, I'm a leader at this company, you look at my big team. It's like, if you have to yep. express that, or if you're putting, you know, leader in your own title versus people are following you and people will follow you to the ends mm-hmm. of earth. And those people will say that, and you can see that as an outsider, it kind of shows again, how it really is an action and how it's a movement versus just a title or saying something like you can see it. Yeah. And and like I said, it's also about influence, right? And I actually have a friend, kind of a colleague, if you will, who has this really great company called Key Hubs that actually what they do is through surveys and and, um, self-awareness tools and things like that, they found out who are the people in the organization who who actually have the influence. Mm. And and then they map it on this really kind of cool mapping system. And what they inevitably find is that, and they kind of put it by like large dots, like large dots have lots of influence as in like people in the organization see that person as as a leader or, and then smaller dots less influence. And you know, he showed me some of these maps and of like the, the org charts and you know, the CEO's got a tiny little dot. Wow. And then you got someone like two rows down with a big dot, right? Cuz people see that person who might just be a, you know, quote unquote peon or someone working in the trenches, but they are a leader. Like people look to them, they respect them, they follow them, they listen to them. Whereas for the CEO, they're like, I could care less about that person. Interest. Yeah. So what is then your friend's company's action steps? When do you, if you like, they see a map, are they like, so you need to elevate this person more or the CEO, you need a new CEO or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. What? yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really, of course, you know, up to the interpretation of the organization of what does that mean to them? And, and there's a lot of context that can go into like why that's the case or what they want to do with it. But yeah, I think. The overall goal is to find out who are your influential people in the organization and how could you elevate that? How could you leverage that? And yeah, and that might be a problem and it probably is a problem that your person at the top is a very small dot. And right. yeah, I think they're probably not going to outright say like, actually, I think you better get a new leader. Yeah. Um, 
But it also could be like that mapping, I think, kind of flies in the face of how we think about leadership, right? Like we expect the person at the top to have that large, large dot, but they don't. And maybe that's okay. Yeah. And maybe that's then the CEO's job to not be that person. And it's their job to facilitate the growth and look to that influential person and be like, how can I elevate you? And I think that'd be great leadership skill. So maybe they're not the influential person. Maybe they're not the one who's moving people, but they they hold the power, right? And the decision-making and the resources to be able to find those influential people throughout the organization and and capitalize off of that, right? So so it might not necessarily mean that the CEO is going to go. Maybe they definitely do, but that's not necessarily the case. You can see how that would really help with stress level of leaders too, because it's it's kind of unrealistic to to think that leaders should be everything, because not everybody can be everything. It's kind of like what mm-hmm. you and I talked about in episode twelve on the different roles that people can play in equity work, mm-hmm. and that's kind of across. I can see that with leadership mm-hmm. and how the different types of leadership that you mentioned. It's kind of unrealistic for me to be a servant leader, autocratic, democratic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all these different types in one. I mean, that's how you could almost see that could lead to stress, but rethinking yep. it of like, no, let's leverage people's strengths. Let's let's try to uh, redefine the sharing power. You can mm-hmm. kind of see that playing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always, this is sort of like this, one of those chicken and the egg things, but of the saying absolute power corrupts absolutely has always really fascinated me. Yeah. I've always wondered does the position itself cause people to become corrupt or are they corrupt before they move into the position? Mm. And I'm sure the answer is both, right? Like you probably have very unethical people who get into positions and they and they are corrupt. But I really think there's some truth to what you're saying of the pressure, the stress, the loneliness, you know, all of those things that can really cause someone to break under the pressure and they start to make bad decisions. Um, they start to make unethical decisions because then, then there's this sort of imposter syndrome and like, I got to prove to people that I've got things together. And so you start t- making shortcuts, mm-hmm. you start making decisions that you wouldn't otherwise, um, you make decisions kind of in an act of urgency because you're like, I just, I just need to put on a good image right now. But then it comes back later to bite you in the butt or like, it's also one of those things of like, I see people make one unethical decision and they get away with it. And then they, they make another one, another mm-hmm. one that soon snowballs into something that gets really big. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is another another part of leadership. I think there's an inverse relationship with accountability when you have leadership. The, the higher up you get, the less accountability mm. there is for your actions. And I think that also leads into uh, a lot of corrupt decision making from, from people at the top because they just there's not a lot of oversight. Yeah. And a lot of fear from people to say to this person, like, what you're doing is wrong, right? So as white men and thinking about how we can support others, share power, all those things as a part of this conversation, can you tell us more about the traditional leadership traits being masculine? Because we've talked a lot about traditional masculinity, a few different instances, and that plays a part here too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So traditionally speaking, historically speaking, leadership traits have been seen as as masculine. So these are things like decisiveness, stoicism, so this idea of not showing emotion, not being vulnerable, confidence, assertiveness, self-reliant, ambitious. So all of these sort of encompass, again, you know, we're in this moment speaking on a binary, but as you and I talk about, there is no binary, it's, it's a spectrum. But in this case, talking about traditional masculine traits, it's an exhaustive list, but some of the ones you think about, um, I think you mentioned charisma earlier too. That's another, another one you can throw in there too. Maybe extroverted, a good speaker sort of thing. 
So, so this is sort of how we've traditionally viewed great leadership, right? So I found this really interesting article that had this finding that, that I think really speaks to why we have seen masculine traits persist over time as great leadership. And it's really very simple. I mean, so they found that, you know, you know through the, some of the studies they did, you know, the concentration of men in the top decision-making roles, such as corporate boards, chief executive offices, is self-sustaining. So men in particular tend to devalue more communal styles of leadership, which is seen as more sort of quote-unquote feminine. And then men are typically the gatekeepers to top organizational powers of prestige and authority. So makes sense, right? Yeah. Men were able to get, and you talked about this in an earlier episode of going into public office sort of leadership positions because women are at home. So men, while they were, it was just them in leadership, kind of got together and through this group thing is like, well, all of us and the way we are, we act, that's great leadership. And then that became a self-sustaining thing because then as they did succession planning, had people, quote unquote, on the bench, they, of course, were looking for people who were like them, mm. which were other men, yeah. right? Of course, embedded in that is, is patriarchy and, and male privilege and male dominance and, and just, frankly, just saying men are better than women, yeah. leaders, right? But then underneath that is also these male traits. So over time, it just was a self-sustaining thing. And men just continue to be in power, and we see it even today. And so much, as we talked about, of men's traditional masculinity is, yeah, as hunter-gatherers, it was super helpful and beneficial. And it's not in today's society, and particularly in today's workplaces. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about aggression, the domineering factor, all these things that inherently we've seen as power and dominating. It's like, I can't think of many environments more than the workplace where that is just not the way to go. Right. And it's just like totally irrelevant. Yeah. And I think to throw in race then too, like clearly, you know, racial hierarchy, we've talked about that so much, you know, so it's very clear, like white supremacy, white is better, best. So whatever traits you want to say is, is part of whiteness clearly that in the, the minds of white leaders who are perpetuating white supremacy, you're going to say, well, white people are better leaders than people of color and particularly black people. And there's sort of that dual white supremacy and then anti-blackness. Yeah, that's right. And, and that combines to see anyone at a surface level who is of color. And then of course there's gradations of black and brown and then the darker the skin gets. So, so you yeah. see some lighter skinned brown folks in leadership and then people will say, oh, we, hey, we did it, you know, but there's still more gradations of blackness that white supremacy sees as as less than. So that combination of white yeah. and male as best has created that consistency over time. Yeah, those two hierarchies that yeah. we've talked about, the yeah. racial hierarchy, gender hierarchy. It's really clear to see the reality of this by looking at the CEOs in mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. How many are black women? Like it is mm-hmm. unbelievable mm-hmm. the percentage. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up and mm-hmm. follow up. It's probably less than one percent. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I like, could probably say it with confidence. Remember in the uh, masculinity episode, we yeah. were, we were talking about the number of Fortune 500 mm-hmm. companies mm-hmm. that are women, and it was like seven percent. I want to yeah. say, but they were they had to have been. Maybe there was one black woman mm-hmm. in there. I mean, mm-hmm. it, like of the 500 biggest yep. companies. So yep. it's 
such a clear example of exactly what you're yep. saying. You know, and I really like that you you mentioned that leadership and management are different. I think that's a really, it's really important to separate the two because you can be a good manager. You can be good at managing people in the workplace, managing a team, managing projects, and it's not synonymous with the leadership. And I think through us defining this, that really makes sense because that doesn't mean you're kind of leading this vision, this goal. You're, you're not having followers. Man, I'm not saying management is not important. It's really important. And I think it's really important in creating equitable workplaces. It's especially important, I think, in today's day and age of just like the way people work. That's kind of a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think that that's important because for our listeners out there who maybe have a small team, just let's keep that in mind as this conversation goes that you may be able to manage your employees really well. But we have to think about leadership differently than management. All right, Paul, let's give a definition here. I ran across a definition, so let me know what you think, because there are, of course, different definitions for leadership, but kind of pulling in all of what we've talked about, what do you think of this? Leadership is a process of social influence which maximizes the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal. And this comes from Kevin Kraus. My apologies if I'm mispronouncing your name, but he's the creator of the Leading for Employee Engagement and has written several books on leadership. And he's obviously listening. So yes. that's why we want to make sure he, Sorry, we Kevin. get his name right. <laughs> My apologies, Kevin. So, uh, so, so I think that that is why I really like that is it breaks it down into these three parts that we've kind of talked about. It's the process of social influence, right? So you're kind of helping to influence people which maximizes the efforts of others. So that kind of goes towards having those followers kind of as you're talking about mm-hmm. and, and inspiring and maximizing effort towards the achievement of a goal. So it's it's something specific. It's something that is agreed upon. Everybody knows it and you're kind of motivated by it. Right, yeah, that's a great definition. And yeah, I think it calls to mind another important part of leadership is that at the end of the day, it's really not about you. Great leaders really kind of make it seem like they're not even there, right? Like the best leaders are those who, like, like this says, maximizes the efforts of others or helps others find their potential or puts them in the spotlight, mm-hmm. right? It's a very selfless action, right? Kind of back mm-hmm. to action. Yeah. So so again, if you have a quote-unquote leader who, who has a title of a leadership position, but they make it all about them and they're very sort of demeaning and patronizing and disempowering of the, of the people that they lead. They're not a leader at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I really love um, if are you familiar with Simon Sinek? No. You heard of him? No. I love him. It's, it's really kind of ironic as we're talking about this because he 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 has a lot of very sort of quote unquote masculine leadership traits. Uh, but he's, he's sort of a foremost thought leader on leadership. Mm. One of, one of my favorite quotes that he has that I think really speaks to this definition is leadership is not about being in charge. It's about caring for those you are in charge of. Oh. He has a lot of these great, like, like that. you know, pointed little, you know, quotes. You Twist can, you of can words put, that you're like, yeah, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> he does that a lot. And a lot of things you can put on a, a sticker or whatever. No one makes stickers anymore. I don't know why I said that, but don't you, you know. love bumper stickers? Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's really about outward focus, outward focus to the people, the people that who are your followers mm-hmm. and, and and looking to them, taking care of them, empowering them, putting them into positions where they can lead or they can step up or they can use their strengths. One of the, one of the positions that I've thought about as sort of analogy to great leadership is a scrum master. Have you ever heard of scrum? From like rugby? 
Well, actually, I think it's taken from rugby, yeah. but it's actually a project management methodology wow. called Scrum. Yeah. So you can get like certified in Scrum. Hmm. And a Scrum master, and of course that master carries a lot of connotations that are not great, yeah. but that's what they call them, Scrum master. You know, and they're sort of, quote unquote, the leader of a, of a team that's leading a project. But their job is not to make decisions at all. Their, their literal job is to make sure that everyone's in the right role, that everyone is is using their strengths, that the team is working well on the project. They're a facilitator. They're not necessarily what we think about a leader who's making decisions you know, in charge, quote unquote. Their job is, is focused on the people and not on themselves. And I think that's a great analogy. Yeah, because I, you know, I dabbled in rugby back in the day. And a scrum is yeah, so like, more- when, you know, when you see those huge like mass of bodies that are all interconnected in the perfect way mm-hmm. and you know you roll the ball in the middle and you say like go and just you hear this because they all have to move <laughs> yeah. as one so i can like visualize the because to make a successful scrum in rugby everybody has to be doing the right thing has to be in the there right spot has to be linked in perfectly yep I so i think the it. scrum master is seeing that the scrum from they step back and look at the yeah, scrum and right. making it and then making little tweaks here and there, like, oh, that person's out of position, or oh, I'm seeing it move the wrong direction. Here's some things I got to go do to turn it back in the right direction. But but the focus, if you're watching rugby, is on the people in the scrum, right? Right. And, right. and it's not the leader per se who's who's in the spotlight. Yeah. So with leadership, you've brought up power. We've talked so much about power in this podcast because it's really what so much as human beings things come down to, especially when it comes to race and the creation of race and gender and all those things that we've talked about. And when we as white men are thinking about how to be a leader moving forward, how to support others to be leaders, you know, a really good question again that you had was asking yourself where's the power and who has it and you mentioned that with your friend's company where the ceo doesn't mean that they have the power necessarily thinking of from the organizational lens you know you can think about this in different scenarios as well but why is it important for us to ask the question where's the power and who has it specifically as white men trying to be allies to be working towards racial and gender equity yeah, it's an essential question because as a white male myself, I've been socialized and indoctrinated to seek out power and to hoard it and to protect it so that other people can't have any of that power for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's for my own self-interest, all of the, the benefits that I get from having all the power of making all the decisions myself. And then I think, you know, historically speaking, it's to protect anyone else from gaining power keep others down right mm-hmm. so this idea of again like slave masters and enslaved people to get an education because even you know something like learning english and having an education gives them power and abilities and, th- and that could lead them to escape to to get out of enslavement so I, I really think that you know even though we're generations removed from that there's something ingrained in us that we are afraid of people getting too much power other people getting too much power and being able to decisions and have resources so we just hoard it. And so I think it's it's out of self-interest and it's also out of fear in a lot of different ways. So, so we, it's really essential that we, if we do get into a position where we have that power to really understand that inherent reaction that we have to that. 
Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And you have experience with that, right? Like with one of your positions in the past mm. at an organization where there was a black woman on the org chart, she was in power, right? But that's not mm. necessarily the system that was set up that allowed that woman to have power. Is that kind of what was happening? Yeah. Because there's different types of power, right? So right. There's, there's influential power, which we talked about a little bit earlier. So yeah, for her, she... Yeah, she was the president of an organization, but there were two other administrators in particular who had that that influential power. And so they were lower on the hierarchy, but I was able to sort of observe, went into some of their cabinet meetings a couple times, and you could see very clearly who controlled the conversation. Mm -hmm. And it was not the president Mm -hmm. at all. And you could tell that there was a power shift in that room. So even though, of course, on paper, the president has more power it really didn't exist, at least in that boardroom. I didn't see what was happening elsewhere, but I could really see that there were certain individuals who had the ability through coerciveness, through manipulation, through some of that influential power to be able to get what they want, hmm. right? And influence the decisions of the decision maker. That can be an okay situation if power is being shared in like a healthy, open, transparent way within the mm-hmm. organization, but it's an unhealthy way particularly if the person leading is a person of color and you know let's say white men are the second ring below or Mm -hmm. two rings below or whatever it is are really like leveraging the machismo is that the word machismo yeah right um that like comes with like these traditional traits and like we talked about last time with creating equity as white men you know Mm -hmm. the uh the idea of speaking up too much Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. we have to check that because that's internalized and all Mm -hmm. these things to be a leader as ourselves is checking like am i speaking up too much am i doing Mm -hmm. these things but also it's kind of a tricky situation if you're the ring below the white men above you who are really using their identity Mm -hmm. to take over take space from people of color and it's not equitable even if that person of color is leading it's kind of a tricky situation because then what do you do how do you say that I was in a meeting recently and we were talking about unconscious bias and just white man was really just dominant. You can kind of tell that mm-hmm. it was rubbing people the wrong way. And I'm like, man, what if I like, what do I do in this situation? Mm. You know, cause he's way up there. You know, I'm still kind of working on that one, right? And yeah. something that we can talk further in this podcast down the road. Because I can't go up to the second person in command at my huge company and be like, you, I could, but it's really hard yeah. to be like, hey, you are taking up way too much space as a white man. And let's talk about that, right? It's mm-hmm. not like, it's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, even like going back to what we talked about in a previous episode about how white men think they should be at the top, right? Because we, we've been told that we, we're both male and we're white, so we should be at the top. So think about sort of the insecurities that lots of white men might feel if they aren't at the top, even if they're right there. You know, you you might feel that you should be there in that position, not this person of color. You might start having thoughts of like they only got the position because they are a person of color or even you're you're sort of okay with it. But you you still insert yourself. You still speak too much because we, we still as white men have that instinct to insert ourselves to influence. Right. It's really difficult for us to just sit back. Yeah. I mean, I think that right. is something that you and I and all white men would just really have to, to, to check ourselves all the time. It's not just a one time thing of like we'll always sort of have that instinct to to insert ourselves and to kind of prove to everyone around us that we are still dominant. Right. Like, sure, we got this person of color in leadership, but 
the real dominant ones are still white men, even though I'm a vice president. And we, we just really still struggle with deferring to people of color, deferring to women, because we have that ingrained racial and gender hierarchy in our systems. That is a great segue to talking about willing to give up power and, and really what that means. But first, a real quick break to tell our listeners that we have our new way to connect with us so we keep these important conversations and learnings going. So we have a new website available, www.themodernwhiteman.com, where you can learn more about our work, read blog posts with topics revolving around the continuous work of being anti-racist, anti-sexist, and our role as white men in creating equity and how to think about our leadership and power and how we can share that power and subscribe to our newsletter. So it's a new way to receive updates on new podcast episodes, new blog posts, various relevant topics, and future ways to get more involved. And please feel free to contact us through the website. We love hearing feedback and ideas from our listeners. So be sure to check out that website and subscribe to our newsletter. All right, so this conversation now, thinking about as white men, the actual act of being willing to give up power, because as you were just saying, that is really hard to do. It's easier said than done in in so many instances. If there's one thing in our previous 12 episodes that we have learned on this podcast is that white men have held the power and the social influence since before the inception of this country. It was really helpful, again, for me to have this definition of leadership, which is, again, the process of social influence, which maximizes the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal. And what was really helpful for me is that goal part of it, because that's what leadership and power is. It's working towards these goals, right? But it was white men forever who's creating these goals. White men were in this room having group think with white men's own interests in mind, right? And so being a white man who truly wants to create a more equitable society, at the end of the day, we have to think about our opportunities to not only share power, but also opportunities to give up power and defer opportunities to women and people of color. I mean, that's truly being someone who's anti-racist and anti-sexist. And so really starting to think about what that could look like. Yeah, think about that. The word goal is is really important, uh, like you said, because the goal that we're talking about, you and I, is an equitable society, mm-hmm. right? So that is the goal we're moving towards. So we need leaders who have social influence, who can maximize the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal, and I think about another important leadership trait, which is competence. Oh, yeah. Right? right. And competence, and, and, and I remember, you know, Resma Menachem talks about this, like, in terms of competence for us with, like, understanding race, white people have very little competence. Like, we're very incompetent when it comes to race. Right. Like, he talks about this. Absolutely. Like, we think we, we think we know, right? Like, and we read books, and we're like, oh, I get what race, racism is all about, but we really don't. And that's why we need people of color who really understand, who have competence in racism, and obviously women who have competence in gender equity to lead, right? right? And then then we, which is very uncomfortable, and I'm even like feeling it right now, we have to sit back and let those leaders maximize our efforts, right? Right. So I like it because we, we still have a role in getting to the goal, which is something that I, you know, for a long time, I thought I didn't have a role in that. I thought I was kind of getting kicked out of this movement because I'm, as a white male, kind of responsible for the mess we're in. But clearly we do have a role 
However, the challenge and the discomfort comes in where we have to be careful about pursuing leadership opportunities, but really kind of defer to women, like you said, people of color to lead and then allow them to sort of help us find our role and maximize our effort in that. Yeah, you know, I see things from time to time. I mean, I'm not a social media guy except for LinkedIn. And I see it on LinkedIn pretty much from time to time, but also in like news articles and things that really does question even if white people should lead in racial equity work at all. And and that's always a a bit of a trigger for me a little bit because I think it begs a definition of leadership Mm -hmm. because the definition that we have laid out I believe white men have a really important part to play in this for racial and gender equity because if we really want an all-encompassing societal shift, we need white people to be a part of the process Mm -hmm. and to be, in our definition, having social influence, maximizing the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal. Mm -hmm. Like White people should be maximizing the efforts of other people in their circles Mm -hmm. uh, for us other white men to kind of work towards this goal. What, What I think people perhaps are saying when they say white people shouldn't lead is that they shouldn't be deciding what needs to be done. Or they shouldn't be deciding like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. racial equity work, let's fix this, right? Like, Mm -hmm. let's decide what we need as an organization to do when, like you said, like white people do not know what racism is. We'll never know what racism is like to a near scale that people of color have. So I fully agree that we need people of color to say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what needs to be done. Like they need to be leading that. But then what then can white people do for social influence to maximize the efforts to get to those goals? So we can sit back and have people of color like really lead this what needs to be done. I think the why it's a trigger for me, and I I saw one this morning, so it's like fresh, Mm -hmm. is I think it's going to make white people do nothing. Because then mm-hmm. white people are going to to be like, yeah, that's right. Like we need mm-hmm. people of color to lead, and so I'm I'm not gonna say anything because mm-hmm. I don't want somebody to be like, hey, you you know, this isn't not your space anymore. That's why I really like this conversation on what leadership is and how we can redefine being a leader because we need to, we need to redefine how white men have been leading forever. But think about it in a different way of sharing that mm-hmm. power and having that influence in that way. That's a really great insight. And it, you know, is a trigger for me too. And when you said sort of like, well, white people just throw up their hands and say, well, if I can't lead, then I'll just do nothing. Right. right? Which is, you know, I think of like a form of white fragility, but, but it kind of, I think to me that, that indicates that for us as white people, it's like, it's all or nothing. It's either we we're in power or it's like, well, then, then I'm not even going to participate. Right. right, You know, like we just, we storm off like a little kid with with our arms folded and we, you know, sit in the corner, you know. Um, because we have been conditioned, like we we are meant to be in power, like you know it it is it is part of our identity and it is something that we are entitled to, and so if we can't do it, then like fine, then I'm not even gonna participate. I'm gonna go off and do something else. Very true, you know. Right. Um, and and so that that is something that that I have felt absolutely, and something that we really be, need to be mindful of. And yeah, I think it is an essential question to, you know, can white people be in a leadership position? So we're talking about positions here. So like a president, a CEO, can white people be in leadership in an organization? Absolutely, because because there's multiple goals in an organization. You know, obviously a main goal is to make money, right? And, and another goal is obviously racial equity and gender equity and equity in general. So can you be a leader in moving people towards a goal of profit? 
yeah, absolutely, um, a white person can can lead that. But should they be leading equity efforts? No, right? right? But they can, based on the definition of leadership, it's about transferring power. It's about maximizing the efforts of people who can do those things and allowing them to make the decisions mm. and, and not go to you as the final decision making be like, you make the decision. Mm. I'm empowering you to make the decision. And as, as uncomfortable that might feel because in a position of power, you feel like you need to make all the decisions or at least everything needs to be passed through you. It's uncomfortable. So that'll, t- that'll take some growing pains to go through that. And I think there's a benefit for white men to be in power because you, you have a board to, to answer to or to talk to and say, we need to move racial equity forward or gender equity forward. Unfortunately, in our society, I think we've mentioned this before, we as white men will be listened to much more than a person of color. So there, so it could be a disadvantage to have a person of color in a top leadership position. I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but there could be a disadvantage because they could go to the board and say, we need to advance racial equity in this organization. The board would be like, no. Hmm. Right? Because again, even a CEO and a president has a boss, yeah. right? Which is a board or shareholders, right? So being a white male, we can elevate and, and advance other goals that are led by people of color or right. women and women by using the power that we have to influence other decision makers. Yeah. And that's so, leadership, right? Yeah. And that's a great example of how that leadership is shared. You know what's interesting mm-hmm. as you were saying that is I'm thinking of sometimes you'll see organizations like big companies and there's the chief diversity officer, CDO, and it's always a black person. Mm-hmm. And that's like the one leadership position on the leadership team. And that's always been like, let's have, how about a black or brown financial officer or technology officer instead of relying on black and brown folks to have to take on this work and like probably a majority white organization and like the exhausting task of having to explain how racial inequities are real and exist. And I've always just been like, I would like to see a white person in that position someday. Mm. Wouldn't that be interesting? Mm. Like, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm curious as to Mm -hmm. if a company was like, we are going to have black and brown folks in these other leadership positions. And we're going to have a white person do the tough work to get our employees on board with like racism being real Mm -hmm. and existing. But like, obviously the caveat then of being a leader is not a white person being like, I got this and yeah, I'm going to set yeah. all the goals and I'm right. going to lead this. Right. But, you know, giving the platform to people of color and all these things. I don't know. I, I don't think it'll ever happen. Mm-hmm. I don't even, maybe that's the wrong approach, but it's just something I've thought about and it always rubs me the wrong way yeah. when the one person of color in an executive team is this chief diversity officer. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure a lot of people agree with you that that's problematic because I think a couple things. Number one, it, it sends the message that diversity and inclusion is is sort of compartmentalized right. into one department, right? Yeah, so, true. so it says everyone else in the organization is be like, I don't need to worry about it. I'll only worry about diversity and inclusion when this person in this department emails me about something. Yeah, good point. Right, but otherwise, my day to day, not even going to think about inclusion or equity. Right, so it defers the responsibility over to one person, which is an enormous weight. Mm-hmm. Right, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there is a insane amount of burnout and turnover in those positions. Yeah. And so it's just more exhaustion for people of color who are already exhausted being in this country because of their race and then women too. So they're already exhausted and then they are basically put into positions that, to fail in a lot of ways. And then it creates this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of like, well, we tried it, right? you know, right. and it didn't work. So, but yeah, to have a person of color 
and to, to bring in other people of color into all these other positions, finance, IT, and say like, and there's racism in finance and racism in IT, mm-hmm. right? And we need a person of color to, to approach those things and use their expertise in IT and finance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then it becomes everyone's responsibility to work towards equity in this organization, not just one person. I totally agree. And thinking about how, you know, you don't necessarily want to explicitly put the burden on like a black IT leader to be like, also, you're going to have to deal with racial stuff every day. Yeah. So that really comes down to like the culture of the organization. It's really up to like the entire leadership group. Right. You know, hopefully you have people of color, women, white person, all like making it from the top, just totally drenched in everything, you know, because it shows that teams that have different cultural, racial experiences on it come up with better ideas. Mm -hmm. And but like, how do you create those environments Mm -hmm. where everyone is open and honest and can be their authentic selves like it mm-hmm. really has to start at that very very like group leadership yeah. level because if you don't have that as a part of everyday life like you said like it's oh yeah the, the race thing let, oh, let's go to that department mm-hmm. no it is like every day it's brought up all yep. the time they're being held accountable it's just really important yeah you know the other thing with white men too to maybe wrap up this conversation is I want to bring up the idea of sacrifice again because we talked about this in the past where, you know, we have to rethink the idea of sacrifice where we've been bamboozled into thinking that individualism and me getting mine is really going to make me the happiest or it's going to benefit me and my family in the long run the most when it's a fallacy. We have to rethink so if there are speaking engagements, leadership opportunities, promotions, raises that you deny or question and say, is my colleague of color getting the same type of promotion? Are women getting paid the same amount as me? You and I both do speaking engagements. Is there ever a speaking engagement that I'm asked to do where I'm like, you know, am I like leading this and I'm a white guy? Can I go to that company and say, hey, I don't know if I'm the right person for this, or I need to be with people of color and play my position as a white man. I I really like what we came up with in one of the past episodes of rethinking sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. That is making our lives better. It is, it might in the short term feel like, oh, I lost 4K on that speaking engagement. But to think about the long-term impacts, it really is making our lives better. And also the idea of like, I'm going to sacrifice the speaking engagement for a person of color. I'm so great. And it's like, you know, there's like this like self kind of like I have this power. We really have to rethink all of that. And that's again, like if you're turning that stuff down or even just questioning it or asking the right questions, if you're honest with yourself for applying for positions, if like in the interview process and all these things, you're like, "Ah, is this, is this place equitable? I don't know if I want to work here, even if they offered the job or I'm going to ask them about their equity stuff. That is a real way to be anti-racist. Yeah, and I, I would I would argue, and I'm learning this every day and even looking back on, on my own shortcomings, but I would argue that sacrifice is an essential part of being anti-racist and anti-sexist. It just has to be, yeah, right? Because otherwise we're just never going to get to equity, right? So we, we have to sacrifice things and we have to give up things. And yeah, we can't look at it at the zero-sum thing. Like if I lose something or if this person gains something, then I'm losing something. Well, and I, I want to be clear, we are losing something. We might lose four thousand. Yeah, right, right, right. But what we're what we're gaining is yes. so much more valuable, right? So, but yeah, I think if you really want to be anti-racist, if you really want to be an ally, work for social justice, 
you will have to give up things and there's things and it's not just about money i'm thinking like comfort yeah social status yeah. power influence time relationships you might lose people in your life and even sometimes physical safety i think about some of the the people who put their lives on the line when they go out and protest like you are putting you are sacrificing yourself in a lot of different ways yeah i, I just think it's really important for those who are really considering and are working towards allyship and how to be a white man in this work if you're not sacrificing something, if you're feeling pretty comfortable, I'm not gonna say you're doing it wrong necessarily, that's not my point, but but you gotta push yourself a little bit more. And that's what I'm learning every single day. Like, because actually a couple examples with the workshop thing, I've had a couple of workshop or uh, conference opportunities. I was invited to speak for a conference and I brought on, in, in one of the speaking engagements, I brought on a co-facilitator as a person of color and another one I brought on co-facilitator as a woman. And I felt pretty good about that, yeah. right? I was like, hey, look at me, like sharing the power, sharing the spotlight. But I don't think I made it quite. And I think to what your, what your point is, I think real equity, real sacrifice would be like, I think this person should do it instead of me, mm. not with me, mm. instead of me. Mm. And I'm still uncomfortable, like to be completely honest. Oh, I'm yeah. still like, ooh. It's very hard. You know, that like. That is not an easy thing. Because I lose money, I lose opportunities, I lose... Even just the, I love doing those. I just love the the opportunity to speak and the opportunity to, to share my, I mean, that's what we're doing all, you know, all yeah. the time. Share my thoughts, right? <laughs> to have a platform. Yes. Um, but, but I'm pushing myself, I have to push myself out of my comfort zone every single day, more and more, and sort of have this thought in my mind, if I'm not feeling uncomfortable, if I'm not sacrificing things, then I'm, I'm missing the mark a little bit. Yeah, and that's why I think this frame of always thinking about what it means to be a leader, moving forward as white men to think about the achievement of that goal. Like you said, our achieve, the goal that we're working towards is to be anti-sexist, right. anti-racist. Yep. We want to create an equitable society. What can we do to create social influence that maximizes the efforts of others in that work? Yep. And maximizing the efforts of others, I think you can link to some of those sacrifices. But at the end of the day, we're trying to achieve that goal. So I think this has been a helpful conversation as we continue on our endless journey. And it is endless, which is good. We're always learning and growing. So let's always think about leadership in that way. So until next time, let's keep learning, stay humble, and do the work. Thank you for listening to The Modern White Man. Please connect with us on our website, themodernwhiteman.com, where you can learn more about our work, read blog posts with topics revolving around the continuous work of being anti-racist and anti-sexist, and subscribe to our newsletter to stay in the loop with various relevant topics and future ways to get more involved. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and share, both individually and on social media. That's how we get the most traction. After all, the more white men that have these conversations, the better.